Hi everybody, Jake here. Before this episode starts, I wanted to record a quick disclaimer about the audio quality on my side of things. There might be a little bit of a feedbacky sound that you get here and there while I'm talking. Hopefully it's not distracting and hopefully you still enjoy listening to the episode. We have gotten me a new microphone and that should solve the problem going forward. But either way, just wanted to give you a heads up and I wanted to say thank you so much for listening to our show. Get your scalpels ready because it is time to dissect some dragons. Welcome to the Dragon Dissected, where we discuss the Wheel of Time series and all things fantasy. I'm Taylor, and with me is my co-host, Jake Stoll. Hi, guys. Over the past week, really about a month or so, <laughs> Taylor and I read chapters 31 to 36 of The Eye of the World. Those of you who who are unaware, which why would you be aware, we took about three-ish weeks between this podcast and the one before. So while only a week has passed for you, many, many hours and many days have passed for both of us. Yes. So, so we might be a little rusty. Don't judge us. We'll, we'll find out. Taylor, can you tell the people why we took a couple weeks off? Oh, I never thought you would ask. My husband and I went on a trip. Um, we went on holiday, as Brits would say, to Europe for my brother-in-law's graduation. Um, he graduated from veterinary school, doctor in veterinary science from Glasgow University over in Scotland. So we flew up for his graduation and then we took a week and just explored uh, Budapest, which was super, super fun. So we were out in the uh, continent of Europe, both UK and then actual mainland Europe for about two and a half weeks. So that is why we took some time off. So, so cool. So for those of you like me that didn't remember where Budapest is, it's in Hungary. Yep, it is. It is in Hungary. It's the capital city of Hungary, very close to, um, it's, it's actually along a very, very famous river. I'm going to Google the names. I don't remember. That actually goes through, I believe, four capital cities, which is really, really cool. And so Budapest is super awesome. If you've never been, I highly encourage you to go. It's the Danube River. Excellent. I don't think that's how you say it, but we're going to go with that. So, yeah, it was super fun. Highly encourage everyone, if you ever want to go to Eastern Europe and give it a try, Budapest is great. Prague is great. Eastern Europe in general is just really fun. Yeah, I uh, was just an amazing friend and picked up Taylor and her husband from the airport when they came He sure did. He sure Um, did. I've I've tooted my own horn. And uh, they were telling me all about it. And one thing that Taylor was telling me is that just Eastern Europe kind of undiscovered by Americans. So for all of our American listeners, you know, you want to do something cool that not a lot of people are doing Eastern Europe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of Americans, a lot of us, a lot of us Americans, we like our main like three or four cities or three or four areas of Europe, which are Italy, Paris, not France, just Paris. Yeah. Greece and the UK. The UK and like sometimes Spain, but there's a load um, and a ton of different areas in Europe that are really not discovered by a lot of people and a lot of travelers and specifically Americans. So I think, I mean, even when we were in Budapest, we were there for like six, seven days, middle of summer. You're listening to us at any time. This is July. It is the middle of summer. This is peak touristy then. Yeah. And uh, it's a little bit hot here. So Taylor and I are both recording in shorts probably for the first time since we started the podcast. Indeed. And Taylor, I don't know about you, but I like shorts. They're comfy and easy to wear. I agree. I am with you. I am also with you. Did you get Um, get the reference? No, I did not. (laughs) That's uh, that's 
the original Pokemon games, Pokemon Red and Blue. Why would I get that reference, Jake? <laughs> you, you, early on in the game, you battle a bug catcher, just a boy with a bug net. He's got like a Caterpie or something. You go to battle him and his little line of dialogue in the RPG is, I like shorts. They're comfy and easy to wear. So it's one of my favorite video game lines of all time. He is not wrong. He is not wrong. How are you doing, Jake? In the last like two to three weeks? Uh, I'm doing, doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I was about to respond in Japanese because I've been practicing my Japanese. He says he's been practicing, quote unquote, but he's actually becoming very quickly um, proficient and almost fluent in Japanese because he's been practicing like crazy. And why have you been practicing? Because watashi wa nihongo o benkyo shimasu kara. That just means I've been studying Japanese because anyway, I'm getting close because we're leaving for Japan in two weeks. What are you doing there? We are going. Uh, it's it's part like sightseeing and vacation. It's part missions trip. So we get to like visit some churches and talk to like the very tiny Christian population in Japan. But just a lot of like cool sightseeing and shopping. And we're, we're bringing like full on just empty suitcases with us because we're going to buy so much so much stuff. You guys should um, just buy a suitcase there. We could buy a suitcase there. I mean, it's probably like a duffel bag type, so it just fits in the bag. But we're going to do all kinds of crazy, like just the fun Japan stuff that you got to do, like see Mount Fuji and go to the Shibuya Crossing. And one thing that's not scheduled on the itinerary with our group, but that we're we're trying to go do is go see a baseball game. Awesome. So I really want to see a pro Japanese baseball game. Apparently, they're kind of wild. Also, we've got like a lot of music and there's like cheerleaders and um, it's just got that like Japanese flair. So it's a whole entertainment thing. That sounds awesome. For anyone that is not aware, if you've not been listening to this podcast consistently, Jake has a son and little Nate is coming with them to Japan. And so Kelly and Jake are getting all ready for little Nate to join them in Japan for their holiday. Nisen-sama wa watashi to ishoi ni nihon ni ikimashou. I think that was right. That means that means Prince Nathan and and I are going to Japan. And my, if, and my wife. If you have, if you are Japanese and you, or you speak Japanese fluently, and there are any mispronunciations, please let us know. Yeah, we would yeah, love just, to know. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. You are. And I think people people usually respect if you try. Yeah. It's a, people appreciate when you try and you are definitely trying. So super fun. Anything, anything updated with any games or any cards that you've been collecting? I know you got your <laughs> new uh, Lord of the Rings ones. It's been really fun. I, yeah, I, I played in the pre-release. Didn't do great. One, one match tied the other two matches. So no losses, but those ties, man, the, the, the time runs out quick in the pre-release. It's kind of frustrating but it was really fun and then i've been playing online a lot with with this new set of cards just drafting it and had some success had some success almost went undefeated in one of my online drafts congratulations thank you seven and one i was pretty happy about that that's all awesome. i've also lost some as well so there's also that but yep. it's been really fun i got some i've gotten yeah the, the card the cards are amazing good job wizards you've, good job wizards. you've earned more of my money <laughs> earning the loyalty yeah that's I right i love it Awesome. Well, um, what do you think about this 
set of chapters. Well, when I read it like three weeks ago or so, um, and then I like, re-listened to some of them now, I... Okay, so it's funny, because it sounds like we had pretty different perspectives or... Uh, you know, takeaways from this. I actually kind of liked them. I there we're getting a lot of travel. It's all random Matt, and um, it's just them on this sad, really scary adventure where they can't cut a break. And um, I thought there was some really exciting moments in it for sure. And I'm all about exciting moments and stories, so I like that aspect. But like. Yeah, it was a lot of another inn, and then another inn, and then another village, and then another wagon ride. A lot of that, too. Agreed. I felt I had mixed feelings about this because I think there were multiple times, and I haven't felt like this really during the book at all, where I was like, another thing, or like another another farmhouse, or whatever it might be. It was interesting because all books have a lull. That's just part of the deal. If it's constant action, you never have time to like build characters. Some would say it's not really that great of a story. <clears throat> and I feel like this was that little lull. And there were really exciting things that held my interest. But overall, when I read it three weeks ago, I felt kind of bored with it. And then I tried to go back and reread it a few days ago. And I started and I was like, yeah, I'm not done again <laughs> I, I i read it once i'm good i made it it might have been a bad time in our podcast journey to like take a break because it is that like kind of a lull kind of like we are right in the middle of of the book and yep. so Dead there's, there's definitely stuff happening but it's also a lot of character building and such and we we had a lot of momentum going and our momentum definitely slowed down definitely so we're, we're, think- we're, we're kind of like revving the engine again trying to get the carb moving I feel like after even like the Perrin and Egwene chapters going from like Perrin and Egwene and like all of the like, you know, new things we're learning about Perrin and like all the like weird tension, like relationship tension between both of like him and Egwene and then having them be you know picked up by the Children of the Light just left us at such a hot, such a high and like such a cliffhanger. That then to like go to these random Matt chapters, I was like, oh. Yeah, you're right. I do remember feeling that way now that you just jogged my memory that I, I remember thinking like, take me back to Perrin and Egwene because I want to know what's going to happen. They're prisoners right? with these psycho KKK knights and I don't like Literally. it. <laughs> I hate them. Yeah. So I would say like, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Definitely a lull, but definitely enjoyed some of it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any other takeaways? Are we ready? Should we start summarizing this? Should, Let's do the summaries. The Let's okay. do the summaries. Let's do it. So we've got six chapters. Let's go visit go some farms. <laughs> yeah. Let's go visit some farms. Let's go to some fantasy inns, yep. which are, which is one of my favorite places in the whole world. I would love to go to a fantasy inn. I also too. Well, have you, have you ever been in the UK? No, I, no, I really, right want, now, really want to. All the inns. Fantasy inn. Okay. Like just telling you. Cool. I did felt vindicated by this little set of chapters that apparently all the chunky innkeeps are the best ones and that the skinny <laughs> innkeep are evil, yeah. evil jerks. Yeah. So that felt very good. I was like, Rand, coming at us with yeah, our can, same feelings. You can only trust a chunky innkeeper. Yeah, if it's a, and I'm sorry to any of those of you that own an inn and you know, have are very fit. You need to put on some pounds. No one's going to trust you. That's how it is. That's right. Got to be chunky. Nobody's <laughs> going to trust you, especially if you're fit the way the British say it, because fit means attractive. I think I know that from Ted Lasso. All right. Sure. Yeah. I've never heard that. But yeah, I believe you. I just know Jamie Tart describes a lot of people as fit. So let's go to chapter 31. Play for your supper. 
<clears throat> so Rand and Matt journey down the Camelin down the road from Whitebridge to Camelin. They hide whenever uh, they spy a rider on the road because they're trying to avoid a fade. Matt becomes very angry, angry with Rand when he, su- he suggests they sell Matt's precious golden dagger. They trade hours of work at a farm for a night in a barn and some food. And each night they thank those farmers with Matt juggling and Rand playing the flute. Matt makes things difficult often because he is suspicious and paranoid of everybody. At one farm where a farmer's daughter flirts with Rand nonstop, they get advice to play at inns along the way. They begin to do so, which earns them nights in warm beds after hot meals. Their luck might finally be turning around, Taylor. Maybe, maybe, but don't be too hasty. This chapter solidified the theory that I already had going into any kind of fantasy book. I am not made for life on the road. They're talking over here about sleeping in bushes and what? No, no. Uh Uh-uh. Taylor does not sleep in bushes. (laughs) Like, no. Bugs. Uh Uh-uh. Not being able to, like, have consistent food or like what no no i'm not built for this life i knew that even with survivor nolan and i went through like a survivor phase and i love survivor it's a great show but i could never i could never i like to think i could do it you could do it you would be fine me not so much i know my limits this this is my limit Uh uh-uh not doing it (laughs) right right yeah, the, the world ends, you're going to be like, I mean, if we don't find a hotel, just feed me to the zombies. <laughs> yeah, I'll just, I'm not doing the whole sleep, find a, find a, a flat area and sleep under a bush nonsense. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, thanks. This chapter, uh, one of my big takeaways is just thank God for Tom Marilyn. He taught them how to play and juggle, and apparently they're really good at it. These, these two boys, honestly, if, if Tom survives, they better kiss his feet. Honestly, the only one in this story that's taught these kids a lick of sense. Like, yeah, Tom. Well yeah, done, sir. Well done. No kidding. I'm going to clap for Tom, too. Yeah, he um, R.I.P. He's already now <laughs> saved their lives twice because he saved their lives, sacrificing himself with the fade. And then he's basically saving their lives again on the road because like you said, you know, this life on the road is really hard for them. And sure, they're getting by kind of okay by like working on farms. But, you know, Matt keeps creeping everybody out with his, with Understatement. his golem paranoia he's got going on. And and it's just really, really rough. And so they they end up finding like they can actually get a little bit of rest with their travel. Totally. You know, by playing for their supper. So. Yeah, oh, cool. I would like to point out Tom also saved their life a third time with his good knives when he sacrificed his good knives to the frolic when they got onto the boat. So Tom has Tom has three. They they both. I think Matt has zero. I think Rand's maybe saved them once, but like Tom is definitely leading the pack in life and children saved. Yeah, no, Egwene's leading that pack, but still though, Tom's done a good job. Tom's done a good job. Egwene's leading the pack on not Egwene, sorry. Um Moraine. Moraine. She's she's yeah. leading the pack on children save. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, she's done some pr- pretty big magic. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, so yeah, exciting chapter. Um, what what could go wrong after this? What could go wrong, Jake? Let's find out what can go wrong. Yeah, we're about to find out. Mm-hmm. So let's go to chapter 32, Four Kings in Shadow. Rand and Matt make it to the town of Four Kings, a busy crossroads frequented by merchants on their way to Camelin and elsewhere. It's a rough town with deep ruts in the street from so many carts passing through daily. 
They ask around at every inn, but all the inns already have musicians. They come to the final inn. They got one left to try. It's called the Dancing Cartman. And the innkeeper Hake agrees to let them play in exchange for dinner and a pallet to sleep on. Yeah, Hake is the skinny innkeeper. They play and juggle, and soon the dingy inn is standing, is, has standing room only from all the workers and farmers who turn out for the entertainment. Matt and Rand quickly realize the innkeeper and his strongmen, Jack and Strom, are planning to rob them of their instruments and Rand's sword. A creepy rich man named Howell Goad arrives and joins the party during their performance, and he eyes Rand and Matt hungrily. Once all the patrons have gone to bed, the innkeeper and his goons show them to an old storeroom where they can spend the night. Rand keeps his hand on his sword, and the men don't try to rob them just then, immediately. Knowing they will, they will be robbed that night, the boys try to pry open the barred window. Soon, however, Howell Goad comes to the door and tells them his master wants them. The dark friend tries to break down the door. But soon a bolt of lightning strikes the bars of the window, blowing up the wall and knocking the dark friend and his goons out or possibly killing them. Rand and Matt run away into the night. But Matt's blind. Yeah, Matt gets blinded by the lightning strike. Yeah, fun fact. This was a crazy chapter because, again, do not trust the skinny innkeepers. They're looking for trouble. There's a reason they're skinny and it's probably because they're they're doing some weird things. So don't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Don't trust the food they give you. I'm pretty sure. Have you ever seen uh, Les Miserables? No. The, there's a know. there's an innkeeper in that play slash book slash movie, and he sings a song, Master of the House, about how he just scams the guests. That guy's skinny. Oh, yeah. Red flag. Yeah. Wow, that's really a thing. It is a thing. If he was chunky, great guy. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, this was great. It's really interesting, I think, as we learn about how influential Gleeman and like the concept of music is in this environment, because I think I was struck when I was reading this of like, you know, we're so used to being able to just pull up Spotify or Apple music and just play whatever we want at any time, whatever Mm -hmm. vibe we're feeling. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a village that has no instruments and no musical talent, you might go years without hearing someone that's good at singing or good at playing come to your town. That's bonkers to me. That's a great point. Robert Jordan captures that super well in this book of how special music is and how special entertainment is. And you can't can't take it for granted. No, he does the same thing with food, by the way. I was going to point out that at some point in this episode that in all these chapters, there's a lot of like food description and a lot of Rand and Matt being like, oh, you know, thank the light that we have food. There's like a great scene where Rand is like being really suspicious of um, Hake. You like hear from the narrator that Matt is just like wolfing down as much food as he can get his right little precious mitts on. He's just wolfing it down. He goes through like four bowls of porridge before Rand has had like one bowl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so funny. Such a high school boy thing. So great. Yeah. This is our first official dark friend. Yeah, he just straight up is like, my master, the Lord of the Dark. Okay, again, wants you. I'm coming. I'm coming back to this. When it comes to like bad guys, if you're a potential bad guy, play it cool, man. Play it cool. If this guy had literally just been like two degrees cooler and would have been like, 
Hey guys, like I really love your playing. You know, I, I have this carriage and where are you going? Oh my gosh, me too. I'm going to Camelin too. You guys want to, I can give you a ride if you're open to like, you know, playing for me and my men. Those idiots would have been in that carriage in a second. Like they would have just been like, you know what? Yeah, let me do that. That sounds like a great time. It just makes me wonder how these dark friends don't get like run out of town wherever they go. Idiots. Because they just come into town. And they're just like, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get to them. Like, so I see creepy. them and I want them. I'm going to eat them and give them to so the master. So creepy. And I'm yeah, like, it's dude, so creepy. But it's, it's play all, it cool. It seems to the reader, it seems obviously creepy. I mean, maybe in their normal lives, they're just an average Joe. And then as soon as, you know, the Dark Lord calls, they they they're, they turn on the creepy. And like a, a switch flips and they just get like really <sighs> weird. <laughs> I start breathing out of their mouth a lot. They need to have like Lucius Malfoy from Harry Potter come and give them some tips on like how to be cool. Like, yeah, freaking ha- be cool, man. Be cool. Like you can be a bad guy and not be a complete idiot. And so be cool. And these guys, I don't know. I don't know what cave that uh, Balzaman is keeping these idiots in, but he like is releasing them and everyone's like, oh, well, that's a dark friend. It's like, yeah, you don't say they're walking around with like a cloak hunched over claws coming out, like lurking. It's like, yeah, well, of course they're going to be found out. What a shock. (laughs) And for anybody not reading the book along with us or haven't read the book, like the dark friends are just people that work for the villain. They're not like the Trollocs and the Fades, which are straight up monsters. Yeah. Like they're just people. So they could be good actors. They could try. Um, I agree. They need a, they need Lucius Malfoy to come in. Um, Someone needs to come I, I do want to, I do want to shout out, by the way, Jason Isaacs is just an amazing actor. 10 out of 10. Especially for villains. And, um, Jason Isaacs, you ever want to be on what next podcast? You can just take our, uh, take Trevor's spot as the pirate. So yep, we would love that. We've already <laughs> done a great pirate, but, so. but we love, but we love, we love you, Trevor. Don't, don't leave. Yeah. So that was crazy. So, um, this is our first overt time that Rand has used the light. The first overt time, because I predicted like weeks ago that when the boon hit the Trollocs, that, that Rand had used the light. Yeah, it was in a si- sort of similar situation where he was kind of back against the wall. Yep. And just like felt it in the and something happened to him. And, and it's interesting because this Jordan does a really good job of kind of telling you what to expect. And if you're paying close attention, all of the like, all of the like dominoes are going to fall into place. So like mm. a couple of chapters ago, we heard about, you know, what happens when young ladies that use the light and without knowing it, or just for the first time, like get sick or like whatever. And that guys kind of go through this weird psycho like psychosis. And Rand is having like all of these symptoms Yeah. later on the chapters of getting sick and like having a fever and then kind of just coming back. And we all know as readers, like, Oh boy, we know what this is. Yeah. And I feel like this was a really great experience of of his first time for two reasons. Number one, it's showing us that Rand is not in control at all. This no, is an no, emotion-based no. power that he needs to either learn how to control, but it's so taboo that a man uses the power that he's not going to get training. Right. And if he is, he's going to be quieted that's creepy yeah no no he's gonna be gentled gentled oh even worse he's gonna be gentled 
I think so far we haven't really seen this side of magic, but magic is really cool. And like, I would love to have some magic, but it can hurt others unintentionally or intentionally. And in this circumstance, Matt, you know, Rand, of course, does this amazing thing and like lightning comes down and like bursts open the, you know, the thing, the wall, allowing them to escape or whatever. But his friend goes blind and like, yeah, magic has really intense consequences sometimes that you can't really control. And I think that's a really important lesson for this world, because I think we need we as readers need to see, oh, magic is kind of like a wild animal in this circumstance. Right. And and Jordan keeps it vague enough where it's not like you're not 100 percent sure it's Rand doing it. I mean, like it probably is, but he keeps it vague enough where Rand is just because I actually re-listened to this this today, so it's very fresh with me. He. Yeah, he's scared. It's like all the pieces are lining up, but it doesn't really say he like feels a vibe or like does something. He doesn't say anything. There's just a lightning strike that happens. So it's vague enough to make you be like, I mean, I think probably maybe he's keeping us guessing a little bit. But I feel like the thing that's the telltale sign is what happens afterwards. Oh, yeah. No, no, I I think that's what's happening, too. Yeah. But but you're right that you got to pay pay attention a little bit and then you can kind of tell where this is probably going. So if Rand is then using the one power, we also should be a little worried about him. Yeah. Oh, I think he's going down the path of madness. Never a good sign for our supposed hero, but I'm um, again, I'm off the Rand train and I'm back to Perrin. Bring me back. Bring Perrin back. I'm ready. <laughs> you just like Perrin because he's handsome. Yep. <laughs> I like yeah, Perrin. Me, me, me too. Yeah. I like Perrin because he's handsome and because he's like the strong, silent, like intelligent type. Whereas like Rand is the tall, goofy, t- puts his foot in his mouth type. <laughs> I doubt there's anybody who reads these books and doesn't like Perrin. Feel free to, to write in if you've read the books. And and without spoilers, please, just regarding the first book, if you like for some reason Perrin was not your favorite character or you I didn't hate like that him, guy. We want to know about yeah. it. Why'd you hate him? I think the only people that would not like Perrin would be like really impatient people like like your Matt, like a Matt in real life. Someone who's very impatient and reckless probably wouldn't like Perrin because he's very methodical and yep. thinks things through. But if you're reading a lot of books, I don't know, you're probably a little bit patient. Agreed. Yeah. Do you want to go? You want to head off to chapter 33? Let's do it. All right, everybody. Chapter 33, The Dark Weights. So Rand and Matt are riding on a farmer's cart through more towns on their way to Camelin. Rand has been sick since the previous night when, you know, lightning bolt hit the hit the inn. Nothing to do with him. And Matt's eyes hurt since he was looking at the window when the lightning struck. The farmer drops them off, and Rand remembers the rest of the night as they fled four kings. They had hidden in bushes all night, rain soaking through their clothes. Rand slept and met Baalzaman wearing Howl Goad's face. Baalzaman tells Rand that what hides him also reveals him, but Rand doesn't know what that means. In the present, the farmer gives Matt and Rand each a scarf and apologizes for not inviting them to stay the night when he deposits them half a day's walk to the next village. At the next village, they pay for a room and some food. In the morning, their breakfast is interrupted by a youth named Pater, who asks to sit and speak with them. Matt immediately calls Pater a dark friend, and the boys start to leave. 
When Pater insists they stay, Rand punches him in the face. <laughs> Pater shouts that the Dark Lord will have them, which is overheard by an old man sweeping the kitchen. They move on to the next town, catching rides. They come to the next village's inn and decide to risk playing for their meal in bed. But Rand becomes very sick, getting alternating chills and fevers. The innkeeper feeds them and tells them to stay the night in the stable, since he's worried the patrons will all leave if someone is sick in his inn. Rand hallucinates or dreams that most people they met come to him in the night, including all their friends, his father, and Baalzaman. A woman comes to them in the morning, wearing nice clothes. She kindly offers to look after Rand. As she checks Rand's fever, she suddenly thrusts a dagger at Matt. He narrowly dodges, holding his own dagger to her throat. Rand convinces Matt not to kill her, and they lock her in the tack room, discarding her evil dagger in a bucket. They leave town and are picked up by a farmer's cart. The farmer's name is Haim Kinch, which I note for a very specific reason. Did you catch the reason I noted the farmer's name? No. Pretty sure this same guy gives them a ride multiple times. I thought I made a note about it somewhere, but I'm pretty sure multiple times in the story, they, this Haim Kinch is either dropping them off somewhere or picking them up somewhere. So either this guy is, is just not remembering that he's hanging out with his two kids, or he just is taking pity on them, watching them, or it's secretly Tam. Secretly, Tam. I think Rand would recognize his own dad nah. or adopted dad. Nah. No way, Jose. So Tam is also Mystique from X-Men? Or like a friend. I feel like he knows these boys. I was wondering if maybe he's like dropping them off at each place with dark friends because he's like a dark friend, but like not one that's like up for, you know, kidnapping people. He's just like, hey, I'll bring you to my buddy. <laughs> my buddy will get you. I assumed it was something nefarious, but maybe Matt is rubbing off on me, making me paranoid. I was going to say, give your dagger around you. Yeah, so Baalzaman having Goad's face, gross and creepy. And it sounds like Baalzaman holds on to souls. Because he was talking about how mm. he was talking about how like you he didn't want to release Goad yet and he was just kind of like holding on to him, but he was dead. And so does that mean that Goad was like still alive and like Balsman wasn't letting him die, or that he wasn't releasing soul to like go to wherever souls go in this world? And that actually makes sense. Because if you're gonna sell your soul, why not do it to the devil? Yeah, why not? Why not? Hello. Yeah. And um, we get also information. I think it was from Howell Goad. This was the previous chapter that he has power over death and life. Balsamon does. That sounds like Sith. I'm not here for that. Yeah. Well, it sounded more like a like a god or a or like a like a Hades or, you know, you know, uh, Satan type or whatever, where he's it, it was saying that like the, you know, the Dark Lord has power over life and death and power over death and life so like he can take or give one as he sees fit so that's also kind of scary for a big bad just being able to be have power over life and death indeed but i feel like if you that's a big claim yeah like put your money where your mouth is i want to see it picker didn't happen that's sort of claiming he's like god or a god yeah or a god yeah yeah, I need to I need to see some Balsamon doing some god nonsense aside from 
showing up in little boys' dreams. I need to see him doing something crazy. I mean, the rats thing was kind of cool. But the rats thing was gnarly. Yeah. Hater was a little bit cooler, played it a little bit cooler, but he, then he like tried. got angry and then like lost it. And they didn't know he was a dark friend when Rand just socked him in the face. Honestly, this is the only time that Matt's like crazy, like don't trust them paid off. You know what? And this, this is the one time that's going to like prove the rule that he should be this way. And it kind of pisses me off because I'm like, yep. Dang it. He was right this one time. And then there's one time he's going to be like, well, remember that one time? When I was like all suspicious, and it was actually a dark brand, and brand's never going to recover. Well, it's—I mean, it's like not to make this too real, but people who have like paranoid delusions, um, they imagine what trauma does to them. So, like yep. something very bad—the thing they're afraid of happening, which is normally you know irrational—does happen to them. Uh, that that definitely makes the paranoia quite a lot worse. One hundred percent. So I, I'm. Yeah, it, it bums me out for Matt because I have a feeling his his crazy paranoia is only going to get worse. Oh, agreed. But then this chick that comes in, I don't know if we got her name, but um, I, no, I think she she's, was I the think coolest. She's, unnamed. she's the coolest one. Oh, she was she, she was, was super so cool. cool. She's very femme fatale. She reminded me of I know you haven't read this book, but um, in Lee Bardugo's book, The Crooked Kingdom, there's like an assassin that comes after one of the characters and she wears all white. She's like, her name is Danyasha. She's like really crazy. And she reminded me a lot of Danyasha. Just like this kind of like holier than thou, like I follow the dark one and like yada yada. I'm like, dude, get off your get off yourself. Like, come on. Where do you get off, ma'am? <laughs> but I I thought she was the coolest one. She kept it cool for most of the time. Yep. She did a great job. She actually had a decent plan. She did. Be nice, get close, stab him in the face. Yeah, and, and it almost worked. Yeah, Matt being paranoid again actually kind of paid off here because again. he was so suspicious, for sure had his hand on the dagger the whole time, that as soon as she made a move, he was kind of ready and he got to dodge and then he kind of had his dagger to her throat. So Agreed. Agreed. He, he was, he, or either that or he's got those really quick reflexes. Yeah, I, I was big. I was a big fan of that whole exchange. It felt very like, okay, yes, again, we're seeing women in this universe are very accomplished and very like able to get things done. And the men in this, the men dark friends are just so lame. Like, come on, guys, get it together. That's true. I think, I think Balsamon just needs to hire more women. Can't. They're like the only ones that can actually touch the light without going psycho. So I'm sure that they're like, why would I go to you if I could just go over here to the famous people in Tarvalin and learn mm-hmm. how to gentle the men? Like, come on now. That's right. <laughs> learn how to gentle. I want to know what that is so bad. I, <laughs> I want to know so bad. As a man, I don't want to know what it is. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know what happens. I want to know so much more about the Red Raja. I want to know all about it. I'm like, give me more information. Yeah, I'm, I'm real. I'm real scared what what the gentling entails. I am too. I mean, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's something that's like zombifying or like God knows what it is. But like, I want to know. I'm so curious. Yeah, my bet is on magical castration. Okay. I mean, you saw The Witcher, right? Yeah. Maybe it's like they turn them into like electric magic eels and just like scoop them into the like oh, magic yeah. river. 
Dude, I forgot about that's that. That's the gentle. That was so creepy. I, I read that entire series and I don't remember a lot of it. I feel like I, I have heard, though, show. that the books were not nearly as good as the show. So I'll give you my quick hot take on the Witcher books. Okay, hit me. Yeah. Um, the first two are super worth reading. The Last Wish and The Sword of Destiny. It's a collection of short stories and they're phenomenal. The, the author took a bunch of like like grim fairy tales and kind of classic stories and really turned them on their head. Sounds like the show. Way darker. It's well, it's just well, that's they used it from for the show. Mm-hmm. And so the first two books are like incredible. All the short stories. And they kind of tell an overarching narrative, but it's mostly just these episodic little things. And then you get to the third book, which is considered the first book because it's the um, first of like the true series of books. And then there's seven of them. Oh. And I read all of them and they're good for sure. But the, they're, but the short stories are way better. Hmm. So if you're going to read it, I would recommend just check out the first two books because it's kind of awesome. Also, The Witcher 3 is an amazing video game, so. <laughs> I have heard that. Yeah, yeah that, I feel like that's what the gentling is. They just turn the men into, like, magical light batteries, and they just. Oh, yeah, that could be that. I, I'm so curious. I want to know so bad. Yeah, my mind's going down some dark places, so let's, let's keep going. But the children of the light are there to bring light to the dark. That's right. <laughs> that's right. In and their they're, gross they're there way. They don't want to be gentled anymore. <laughs> idiots <laughs> okay <laughs> let's move along to the last village okay chapter 34 the last village they come to yet another village oh, a lot a of surprise, villages a surprise. <laughs> and rand and matt overhear two men talking one has been hired by someone who is clearly a fade and has been told that two young men stole a heron mark sword from him the other man laughs at him and when rand and matt ask for a ride he agrees they talk to him after the fade conversation He. This guy tells them about the Aes Sedai, who advises the queen. He also lets us know that the crown princess of Andor studies in Tar Valon with the Aes Sedai, and the prince studies with the warders. And this is a tradition in this kingdom, or queendom. Queen Morgaze's daughter disappeared a while back and is presumed dead. Her son died in the borderlands. Later, Rand has a dream that a fade killed... A fade killed Lan and Moraine and enslaved Perrin, Matt, and Egwene. He wakes to a raven that pecks out his eye. He then wakes up for real and realizes his eye is still there. And then they all arrive in Camelin. It was fun hearing about this like little town or this whole like region of the world and, and how the queendom works. I, I love specifically in the next like couple chapters, they talk about like the drama, the tea with like Tom and like all this stuff. It's just so fun. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. It's great. I literally love it. I think it's fascinating that there are so many people traveling to Camelin to see the false dragon. Like, yeah. We haven't really talked about that, but I find this so fascinating that you hear about these like big people in history and like they've mentioned a few over time about like, oh, this was a false dragon of like blank century or whatever. And so there are just people flocking to camp to, um, Camelin in order to see this false dragon and to mm-hmm. see the Aes Sedai. And it's really fascinating that like, even though this is someone that's a pariah that nobody really wants to be associated with, everyone's like, I don't want to be associated with them, but I do want to see them. It has a lot of like Jesus vibe. Like people didn't yeah. really, there were a lot of people that didn't really want to be associated with Jesus. Totally. And with the false dragon, it's like, I want to see him 
And like, maybe just so I can boo him, but I just want to be able to, it's like everybody wants to be able to tell the story that they saw him. Oh yeah. Everyone's like, I want to be able to say I saw the false dragon. It's like, yeah. well, which one? It's like, well, it was this one. It was, Yeah. you always hear stuff like that. Like, I know the ones that stand out to me in my mind right now, the ones with like the royal family, like I know yes. King Charles just crowned and they're like, this might be the only coronation you see in your lifetime. And like, I don't care. About that at all, but it is kind of like there are moments in our life where you you kind of hear like this is the only time this will probably happen in your lifetime, and mm-hmm. that's kind of a that's a really sh- like weird thing to experience. That is a weird thing to experience. I mean, well, you think about the number of like lifetimes and generations that Queen Elizabeth reigned over. That's that's also kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, not to get too derailed here, but she was queen for a hella long time. You don't say. So it's it's crazy. I, I this chapter was kind of fun to kind of hear like this this guy that is the taking them is like, well, I'm a good queen's man. Well, I'm a good queen's man. It just mm-hmm. cracks me up every time he said that. I was like, all right, we get it, dude. Like you we hear, got it. You hear that a lot. You hear that in the next chapter too, and we get to Camelin that being a queen's man like really means something. It's like mm-hmm. I'm very loyal, I'm a patriot, I'm mm-hmm. I'm you know, my I like my country. Also interesting that the two rivers is in Andor. Yep. So Queen Morghese is technically their queen, and they just didn't even know that they were a part of this country. <laughs> Dude, honestly, though, this is like quintessential medieval times. Like, quintessential. Yeah. Like, we have a queen? It's like, yeah, you have a queen. And they're like, really? What's she look like? I don't know, but you have one. It's like, I love that. Yep. It's so medieval. It's so medieval. I love it. You got any other thoughts here? I mean, this, this chapter, I would also say some great world building. Balsamon, I wonder if Randy using the one power really gave Balsamon an in into his dreams because the second dream we've had in two chapters. Yep. That's like this evil dream. So I wonder if using the one power sort of like opens up Rand to, yeah. you know, dream, you know, attacks. Well, it's interesting because, you know, this this whole like experience with like Karen and Egwene and then Rand and Matt are kind of moving at the same timeline. It sounds like Rand's dreams have ramped up where Matt and parents have gone down. Oh, interesting. Which is fascinating. Yeah, well, parents is because the wolves are protecting him in his dreams, right? And then, but we don't know much about Matt's dreams lately. <laughs> Matt's dreams are full of his knife. <laughs> it's just his knife. It's his knife, like, you know, his knife and him growing old together and having a family. <laughs> It's it's then it's then like a dream that he's never going to tell anybody about. The knife is like wearing some scandalous clothing. It's become his weird safety blanket. Not here for it. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Absolutely. Yeah. I okay. So I was wondering. So you remember? So here's a little little lore dump for you. You right. remember when we learned about the one power? Yeah. Because Moraine was teaching Egwene. Yeah. And we learned about the male and female sides. Mm-hmm. The female side is fine. It's it's pure. You can use it. So that's why women can get away with using the one power where the male side has been corrupted by the dark one. And so you can't dip your like hand into that without it, you know, coming away like covered with oil, right? Like covered like with some you, you're going to come taint. away with a little bit of dark one on you a little, a little tainted. Yeah. And that is the, they use the word taint. You're right. And so Rand using the one power. He's going for the male side because he's a dude. And so I think that's that might be what's happening here. I could. It could be like he's he's coming away with that. And then Balsamon's like, ha, you used magic. Gotcha. Yep. 
I'm in your dreams now. Which I think that that taint, it seems like, is almost like a beacon for all these dark friends. Because they've hit now mm. three dark friends where before they had never encountered one in their entire existence. Yeah. That's very telling to like, and they kind of mentioned that too, that it's kind of like a beacon. They're like, now that he's touched it, it's kind of like has that, mm. that ick, that stank on him. He's got that, that magic stank. Yep. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting too. My one last thought here before we go to chapter 35 is the dark Lord is in this world is clearly very good at adapting to the environment. Yes. So using different strategies, depending on where they are. So if they're out in the middle of nowhere, They'll just he'll just use a swarm of ravens that's gonna peck you to death, or really an army of trollocs and fades. And then if um if you're near a whole bunch of villages and towns and a city, it's gonna just be all like humans that are and rats, humans and rats. Yep. I literally love this in a villain. Like, yeah. be adaptable. If you're an aspiring villain, be adaptable. Like, mm-hmm. change with your environment. If you're hunting your prey, adapt to what you're Ray is not going to expect and that is just such a sign of a good villain and I think very few that's one of the most terrifying things about the villain it in Stephen King's book is that it, that's the Pennywise the clown correct yeah but Pennywise the only reason why it takes the form of Pennywise is because its primary prey is children and Pennywise learned over time and adapted that children are very trusting of clowns. And so that is why Pennywise comes out as a clown is because he, it actually, it's a she, she learned over time that in order to collect the most trust from children, she needed to come out as a very like unsuited. And so she adapted. And I love that. Like be adaptable, be adaptable. You're the best. Yeah, I agree. It makes you a much better big bad. Yes. Whereas like if you're a little bad, right? Like I'm kind of a sucker for the CW superhero shows and uh, don't don't judge me people. The Flash is actually pretty good. They do like, you know, you do your villain of the of the week or whatever. And those villains like they've got a weakness, right? You find they're kind of one note, you find their one weakness. Boom, we use our, you know, science brains and we stop them. But then the big bad is something that you can't always either one step ahead of you or super adaptable, or something like that. So it makes, a good, makes for a good big bad. I agree. All right. Let's keep go going. to Camelin. Yeah. We're going to Camelin, people. We made it. So they come to Camelin, a massive city that is far larger than Barillon, far larger than any place they've ever been or even imagined. So a 50-foot-high wall encircles the city, with even taller towers lining the wall. Within, tall buildings press together as thousands upon thousands of people go about their business. Further in, the inner city rests atop a high hill, its many-colored towers looking down on the rest of the city. The farmer deposits Rand and Matt on a side street and advises Rand to hide his Heronmark sword, since it will probably keep drawing attention. As they walk the streets, Rand realizes he can wrap his sword in the Queen's colors, the way the locals do, the Queen's men. He does so, and they follow directions to the Queen's Blessing. They meet Master Gil, the innkeeper, who is, um, he's chubby, so, yep. we can, so we can trust him. Good sign, good sign. They tell him Tom Maryland advised they seek him out. 
In private, they tell the innkeeper how Tom saved them from a man who was hunting them and sent them to this inn. The innkeeper tells them he'll only believe Tom is dead when he sees a body. Yep. I agree same. with him. Hashtag same. Master Gill tells them more of Tom's backstory. So here's your hot tea here, Taylor. I'm ready. Hit me with the tea. Tom Marilyn was the court bard of Queen Morghese's court, and rumor has it that he was quite close to the queen, who at the time was a young widow. When Tom's nephew got into trouble with the Aes Sedai, Tom left without a word. Upon his return, he argued and said some improper things to the queen. To this day, the queen's guard knows to look for Tom. I love it. I love it. I love the tea. Tom, you Tomcat. <laughs> oh, yes. He's great. Oh, what a gem. I, again, chunky innkeeper, big fan. I want nothing but good things for this man. Yes. Like, he's a sweet, he's a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. And just kind of, like, take these, these miscreant boys in. So, just nothing but good things. And, and Matt doesn't even trust him because he's just being nice and just helping them. Yep. And I like that in a character. I like when a character will just help you just because it's the right thing to do. 100%. Especially when it's not like, you know, not clearly not everybody in this world is like that. Like most people are not because it's, you know, kind of a little bit realistic in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and Matt's like, we can't trust him. He didn't freak out. He didn't kick us out. And Rand's like, shut up and eat your beef. Yeah. Shut, shut up and be grateful. I yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Did the city kind of remind you of Gondor? Um, How well, it's like described. yeah, because it, because the country's called Andor. So. But I feel like the way the city's described is like it's a big wall and then like consistent walls as it like the city yeah. like perches up against this hill, this mountainside. Yeah. So it yeah, it's described as basically having like two walls. So it's got the outer wall and then I didn't mention it, but it's got the high multicolored towers of the inner city, which which actually has a big wall around it also. So, yeah, it's a little bit like Minas Tirith. That's mm-hmm. that's what you're referring to the the capital of Gondor, mm-hmm. the the seat of the king. Yep, the return of the king. Fancy. I I was a big fan. Yeah. No, I I I, I agree. It gives me Minas Tirith, Minas Tirith vibes. Very big. Very um. And Minas Tirith has a lot of its own you know quirks and things. This city seems probably a lot more just just straightforward. Big city. Yeah, Minas Tirith yeah. looks like a looks like cake. So this it, doesn't feel yeah. cakey. This it looks. Feels- it looks like a cake. Minas Tirith is like kind of sort of falling into ruin because it's super old. And, yeah. you know, there's all this there's all that back lore to it. Yeah. But but it felt fun. I again, I love hearing this stuff about the queen because like I just feel like she's I don't know how old she is. She might be old lady or she might be like kind of sees kind of a badass. But like, I just love hearing all the stuff. About her. I think she's younger than that because she was think with so? we, we don't. How old was Tom? Tom's old. Oh, I mean, man. I mean, I'm already going gray, Taylor. You are not fully white. Get out of here. I uh, can see your hairs. I, pro- I might be soon, though. It runs in my family. The, the white the white hair. Yeah, like a long gray white beard, like a Gandalf. I don't think he had a Gandalf beard. I think he had like streaks. He of did. Gray. He kept ripping it out. I thought he I thought he had touch of gray. No, he had full like, gray. Like a natural touch of gray. Well, like he Google back and read it. I'm, I'm going to Google it. Right, no, I'm not. We'll reread it. My Tom, the way I picture my Tom, Marilyn, <laughs> is... <laughs> Maybe 50. I don't know. It's like medieval fantasy, so you can't be that old. I'm picturing him as literally what's his face, the guy that plays Gandalf. Ian McKellen. But him in the um, tech event as so Magneto. You're, you're picturing Magneto? Yes, but with long <laughs> hair. Like Gandalf hair, but just the age of Magneto. <laughs> so just Gandalf with a haircut? Yeah, a bit. <laughs> and like, and like 10, 10 years younger. 
five, ten years. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. But still, though, old man. It's super fun. Yeah, I, I want to. I'm. I'm curious. It's funny because this book has been very un Game of Thronesy. It's been very un like political and stuff. And so, getting like a little taste of this political stuff, I'm actually kind of intrigued. Even though so far I've enjoyed that it hasn't been this political totally. fantasy book because I've read kind of a lot of those. I do. I do like hearing though this that this queen has a super strong ally with um, the Aes Sedai, and that a lot of people that make them comfortable. And that's super fascinating because, like, personally, if it were me, if there's a group of people that has magic, I'm an idiot if I do not ally with them. Like, absolute idiot. Especially yeah. hearing about the old king that was, like, super against Aes Sedai. And, like, it is well known that his little illness, quote unquote, could have been solved by an Aes Sedai just coming in and, like, you know, sprinkling some magic water. Like, you're an idiot if you make enemies with the magic people. Like, that is stupid. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I would do the same thing. And I think it's cool that um, they also send their kids to go train with the Aes Sedai. Oh, so I love so the, the princesses basically become Aes Sedai and the princes basically become warders. Yeah, why wouldn't you go send your kids to go learn crazy magic just because? Like, they're going to yeah. be the queen, but they also get to know crazy magic. Go be, go be magic people. Like, come on. Come on, guys. What's better, a queen or a wizard queen? I mean, I don't think there's like a question. It was rhetorical. Yeah. <laughs> wizard queen all the way. Wizard hey, queen all the way. Hashtag wizard queen. Hashtag my wizard queen. <laughs> Hashtag my wizard queen. So let's go to chapter 36, Web of the Pattern. So in Camelin, Matt decides to lie down in their room at the inn, while Rand chooses to make the most of the day by asking questions and making himself more available in case Lan and Moraine show up. A maid flirts with him and tells him about the inn's library. Rand then is admiring the book collection when he is startled by what looks like a trollic standing right behind him. Oh my god! About ten feet tall. The massive, tall creature kindly apologizes for startling Rand and introduces himself as Loyal, an Ogier. Loyal tells Rand how he lived in a steading for his first 90 years and decided to leave in order to see the world. He's had a difficult time in Camelin, since everyone mistakes him for a Trolloc, and he was chased through town by an angry mob on his first day. Rand feels comforted around the Ogier, so he tells Loyal his story. It's the first time since leaving home that he has told someone the entire truth. Loyal listens and tells Rand that he is Taverin, which means that he is the type of person who bends the pattern that the Wheel of Time weaves. His life is one thread that will bend the threads of many others around him. In other words, his life will shape the course of the world. And the same may be true of Matt and Perrin as well. Arthur Hawking and Luz Theron Telamon were both Taverin. Rand doesn't believe Loyal or doesn't want to believe him. Loyal asks to accompany Rand on his travels, but Rand declines. After all, it would be hard to blend in while traveling with a hairy creature who is nearly 10 feet tall. He does agree to speak with Loyal, however, and asks Loyal to show him the sacred grove in Tar Valen, one of the few groves planted by the Ogiers that is rumored to still be standing. The chapter was very, like, sweet. Yeah. And I, um, I left this, like, reading this chapter just being like, this is, these are the interaction that fantasy is all about. Yep. You know, like, these moments where you have beings and creatures from totally different walks of life that kind of meet and have their destinies intertwined where like we as readers know like this is a huge moment and 
that's really special. It, it mixes in a lot of really fun things that you can do in fantasy. So you've got like these different races of, of people mm-hmm. to like one and one looking completely monstrous, this 10 foot tall, hairy, hairy, like beast man who's just real nice and talks real slow and says he's really young, even though he's 90 years old. Yep. And like, that's really fun. I so it brings up the whole concept of life and how short human life is and how humans try to accomplish so much in their short lives. And it's, yeah, there's a, there's a funny, like, inner monologue Rand has where he's talking to Loyal and he says, if Loyal is a hot-headed Ogier, he can just imagine what the rest of them are like. It actually reminds me a lot of Fangorn or Treebeard from mm. Lord of the Rings. I had that exact same thought. I was yeah. like, even down to the trees thing. Yep. And then and I like love that. Talk, the talking slow and the council was already meeting for a year and they hadn't decided anything. And yep. I'm like, oh, this is so, this is such an end thing. I loved it. Yeah, I, I really like this. I also think this is a special moment because up until this point, the only other sentient beings that we have met until this, like at this point, have been like monsters. Yeah. And so it's fun to see a different type of creature that we haven't met that that we that is not human, but is not monster. Yeah. You know, that's kind of something else. I feel like this this chapter leads us to a fantasy role. Oh. If at any time a wise, massive creature human thing asks to join you on your journey, you are an idiot to say no. You always include the big creature things on your journey. What are you doing? I feel like Rand... Say yes, Rand. I feel like Rand made a big mistake. I mean, yes, it's not going to be as, like, conspicuous, but I mean... Come I mean, on. yeah, come on. You get you you like Chewbacca comes up to you and says, let me go with you. Yeah. And you say no. Yeah. You fool. What are you an idiot? Like, come on, dude. And so this this sweet, gentle creature who is like obviously super knowledgeable and, and understands the world is like, Can I please come with you on your journey? And this this dummy has the audacity to say, I don't think that's a good idea. It's like, you're not a good idea. We're going to trade you out for him. He's a better companion. Well, Taylor, you already think Rand's not a good idea. I think Rand is a dummy. And I, 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 w- I did appreciate that he, that even though I think um, Matt has had some good choices with his skepticism, I'm really glad that has not rubbed off on Rand because it's good yeah. that he trusted him. I agree. I think Rand's still staying pretty true to himself, and he is very nice to Loyal, which, I, which was mm-hmm. it was sweet. I, it was a very sweet chapter. Especially because Loyal, like, it kind of broke my heart. He's a tourist. He was, yeah. Like, he's been in, and, and this is the thing that is so hard to read, because I'm, I like, you know, I've been a tourist in a lot of places, but, like, this is literally his dream. Like his dream for his whole life has been to leave his like community of Ogier and like explore the world and like see culture and interact with people. And at every area he just gets with, he gets hit with like people being awful and like chasing him down. It's like, that is so heartbreaking because like, this is his literal dream. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're right. He's a tourist and he gets treated like Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. I uh, Frankenstein. That was a really sad book for me because I felt really bad for Frankenstein. Like, like everyone is supposed to, but like mm-hmm. this is sad because you know, loyal is just so 
sweet and yeah. kind. And it's just like, I just really want to see. Them. <laughs> And I'm like, I want you to see the trees. <laughs> yeah, he can, you know what? Loyal, you can come join the podcast. Yeah, yeah. You, we'll take you to go see the trees, buddy. Yeah, we will protect you. Jang and I will come and protect you. You can see as many trees as you want, sir. Which, by the way, talk about who's protecting who. If Loyal goes with them, he's this 10-foot-tall hairy That's creature. That's what I'm saying. Nobody's going to mess with you. Yeah. No. Or like the Trollocs come, Loyal will just thump them in the head. I'm telling you right now. And, it, and if you get tired walking to Tarvalon, you just he'll just give you a piggyback ride, probably. I'm, I am telling you right now. There's like, and again, you brought up Star Wars. Like, first thing that Han Solo says is like, oh, well, Chewbacca will just rip your arms off. Like, that's a big trump card. Yeah. Like, you, you, that's a good thing. You want a creature that if like someone's threatening you, they can just rip arms off. Like you want that. <laughs> yeah. So, so we got to imagine Loyal has got to be pretty strong. He's, he's 10 feet tall. He's like a gentle giant, but like. A giant know. nonetheless. But he is a giant. Yeah. Well, I really like the new fantasy rule. Yeah. Uh, that's fantasy rule number. Like six. Six ish. We'll have to check with our podcast mom. So yeah, if a, if a massive wise fantasy creature asks to join your journey, say yes. Yep. I really thought this whole concept of something that like can change the pattern or like bends the pattern was super fascinating. Mm-hmm. So we've heard a lot about, you know, Moraine in particular is like, oh, the pattern, the pattern, the pattern. And it's, it'll be interesting when I, I'm hoping that these two collide to have someone that can, yeah. that is literally destined to bend the pattern and someone that is super set on the pattern, how they're going to act. That's a good point. will be fascinating. Yeah, it's it's a fun also concept in the world. It's a cool way of like doing the like, you know, chosen one style prophecy when he describes the Taveran where they're like bending the lives of others around them. Oh, yeah, like they're it. just making like this huge impact on the world and on, on everyone's life. That's kind of a interesting, cool concept. I love that. Like it, it's almost like they are like a black hole get sucked into their like pattern which is yeah. kind of fun and like it's for better or worse it's a great way to describe like that like what our heroes do is really gonna matter yep it's not just gonna like win some far off war that doesn't affect everybody like it's going to like actually affect the lives of you know lots of people okay so let's go to some of our little fun segments so i don't know if you had any quotable quotes this episode taylor not for me this week done for me no, we described some like really fun parts that were in there. The one that I have, we've already talked about this ad nauseum, but page it's in the paperback version of the Wheel of Time. Uh, sorry, the Eye of the World. Page 487. Rand was glad to see a stout man. He doubted if he would ever again trust a skinny innkeeper. Dude, same. Same. No skinny innkeepers. You need to have some chub on you and then we will trust you. There's a reason they're skinny innkeepers, Taylor, and they're not chubby. The chubby ones are just doing their job and eating a lot of food and drinking their own ale and stuff and having a good time, right? So the chubby ones are having a good time. The skinny ones are getting a lot of exercise from robbing people. I could see that. That's why they're skinny. Major feels. Um, I had written down how there's there's a lot of desperation in these chapters. Robert Jordan yes. likes to likes to just really just hit his characters over and over again. Yes. With rough difficult situations if you were actually in a video game right like a role-playing game or something and you're like oh my god i gotta fight more bats i gotta fight more slimes (laughs) why do these slimes keep finding me this is horrible 
But when you're the player playing the game, you're like, cool, I'm going to level up again. You know, da 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 But if you were actually the character in there, you'd be like, ah! yep. <laughs> this cave is full of slimes. Why do I have to go through this cave? It's like that, but with like warm bushes and more rain and less food and all the things that just make life miserable. And, These and, poor boys are just getting hit nonstop. And the second time you use your magic attack, it blinds your friend. Yep. You have dark friends chasing you. Yeah, it's just, you've got nightmares, so you're not even sleeping well. It's just like one natural and unnatural calamity after another. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So very, very desperate. And then, and then, yeah, I mean, we all are feeling the love for our gentle giant, Loyal. Oh my gosh, Just yeah. wants to see the world. You said it so well, Taylor. You said he's just a tourist. Just um, really he gets treated. wanting to live his best life. And he's so nice. He's clearly so much nicer than a lot of the humans we've met. Justice for Loyal. Honestly, justice for Loyal. Like, everyone needs to calm down. Everyone needs to calm down and, like, treat him with respect. That's right. We want We want some posts. Hashtag justice for Loyal. Justice for Loyal. Like, I want. I want nothing but good things for him. Just like I want nothing but evil for the children of the light. I want nothing but good things for him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Any good thing that was going to come for the children of the light, send it to Loyal. And then if any bad that was going to happen to Loyal, send that went right over to the oh, children of the light. Any bad that's happening to anybody, even Nynaeve, honestly, send it over to the children of the light. They deserve nothing but evil in this world. That's right. That's right. Thanks for being on Nynaeve's side. So next up, uh, did you have any specific major feels you wanted to to remark on Taylor? No, we covered it. I just I felt a lot of love. I was also I think one other big feel I definitely had was it was I was really happy for the boys when they learned they could play for their supper and they like had that ability. It was it was like, oh, Tom's still helping them a little bit. I don't think they knew they were good at it. I, I think that was actually kind of the part of the premise is like they didn't realize they were actually good enough. To- I feel like good is a bit strong of a word. I feel like they're average at it, but people are so desperate that they're right. like, average. you're so great. And it's like, are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I mean, average is a lot better than you no, know, I, average nothing. is better than nothing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like to think they're just amazing at it. I'm glad that you think that. that's really, that's really <laughs> optimistic. I didn't have any specific psychoanalysis except what I said earlier about trauma definitely doesn't do uh, mm. it doesn't really help the uh, the paranoia very much so I'm I'm feeling no. feeling bad for Matt not liking you know his uh, worried about his mental health for sure there are definitely some level up moments I wanted to comment on so I uh, just mentioned it Rand and Matt good enough performers to play for their food so they've yep. got that they've got that charisma stat there's actually a thing that bards get in dungeons and dragons that's called by popular demand or popular entertainer or something like that where in D, if you have a bard they have that ability and basically you can stay in the inn for free as long nice. as, as long as the bard like plays for the whole inn so it's like a it's an actual mechanic in D when you play it that's awesome yeah and then they just keep surviving a lot of deadly encounters. So they're definitely gaining some experience points and leveling up big time. I mean, you saw it with Matt, like being super quick with the dagger on that one lady. Say, I think that was the most like level up that I saw, like yeah. fighting wise, like Matt's quick reflexes of, mm-hmm. of really getting there. Yeah, I wouldn't say Rand is leveled up with his like magic, even though it happened because it like really just broke him and blinded Matt. It, it just feels like something that's like a kind of a get out of jail free card if you really got to use it right now. And it's not really something he's he, he doesn't even know he's doing it. I don't think Rand's magic reminds me of like a surprise bar. 
Like he <laughs> literally, like he's in a moment and he like just farts out some magic and it worked out. And yep. he's like, oh, I guess that worked. That is every time that he used it. I was like, and, and, and he pretends like it wasn't him, just like you would a surprise fart. Yeah. It's like, what? Who was that? Who was that? It's like, it was you. You did it. You blinded me. You are the one that broke this wall, sir. He who was blinded by it dealt it. He was blinded by Rand's magic part. <laughs> so it just it literally every time that he does magic, I'm like, you need to get your surprise parts under control, sir. You know, I, I think describing the male version of magic as surprise farts is a little sexist, Taylor. So <laughs> women don't fart. So that's, they would never do such a thing. That's true. It's scientifically proven. It is. Unless you're my wife. <laughs> Sorry, Kelly. Outed. <laughs> yep. So next uh, level up. Oh, yeah. I would say Rand is actually gaining some like leadership points. Yeah. So due to Matt's pessimism, paranoia and hopelessness, Rand has needed to take the lead. <laughs> and what? <laughs> due to Matt's forward big negative trace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rand has been he's Rand has been stepping up. I know you're not a big yeah. Rand fan, but Rand has been stepping up. No, he totally has. He totally and has. He's learned how to, he's got to motivate his, you know, golem of a friend and, you know, just <laughs> or trash mouth and just keep him going. I'm sure Matt's a nice guy. I'm sure. Once you get rid of his weird dagger that he like strokes the ruby when he's upset. It's creepy and gross. That face you're making. Yeah. It's a face we're all making. Yeah, it's a real, it's a real every like, time that he, face. Every time he like slides his hand in his coat jacket and like rips the dagger, all of us are like, Ew. that's nasty. Yeah. <laughs> you're being weird with just, your, you're being weird with your knife. <laughs> just stop, man. And the funny thing is Rand like notices it a bunch and he's like, yep, Matt just, Matt stuck his hand back in his jacket again. Yep, he's probably holding that dagger. Speaking of ships, <laughs> we are... Still shipping Matt and that dagger. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're not shipping Matt and the dagger. We're shipping. Like... We're, 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 we're like anti-shipping it. We want to break up for Matt and the dagger. <laughs> I want to break up, but I feel like Matt is really stage five clinging to that dagger. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, this, he needs to go to uh, some CODA meetings, which is yes. Codependency Anonymous, and we need to get him away from that dagger. Yes, indeed. Any more ships? I would say Loyal and just me like yeah, same. <laughs> i love loyal, loyal in the heart of adventure i just i am shipping that so bad like I how about, well how about for real talk how about loyal in the trees i i want nothing more than for him to see those trees like i literally yeah. new new goals loyal in a grove i think if loyal actually finds a grove in this i might cry i mean it'll be a magical moment for all of us him just him just accomplishing his lifelong I am also shipping all innkeepers and carbs. I think that there needs to be more carbs for innkeepers, more beer for innkeepers. I'm going to be on the innkeeper union for carbs. I think there needs to be all innkeepers need to have a steady supply of breads, pastas and beer going into their inn at all times. We're going to put and cheese. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to petition like the government to any innkeeper just gets a tax tax free food on on carbs specifically. I need more chunky innkeepers. I need chunky innkeepers or else what are we doing? Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Can't trust them. So I'm shipping all innkeepers and carbs because they need they need more. They need more 
more pounds in their life. So I agree. I agree. I think that might be a good place to end our episode. I think so too. (laughs) I don't think we have any predictions really, except for that one, the guy that keeps giving them rides. I think for some reason we know him. I'm a little, I'm I'm definitely, he's a bit sus as they say in uh, when, what the kids say when they play the game Among Us. So he's a mm-hmm. bit sus. I don't know. I don't like it. Kind of scares me. Also, maybe he's just like a helpful, you know, figure or something. I, I hope that's the case. These boys, they do not need more drama in their lives. I agree. They need less drama. Yeah, absolutely. All right. If you are reading along with us, please read chapters 37 through 42 for next. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of The Dragon Dissected. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, please leave a like or review in your podcast app. You can also keep up with everything I'm doing at my website, jakestoll.com. And we want to hear from you. Please connect with us on Instagram at dragon underscore dissected pod or email us at dragon dissected at dream at gmail.com. Share your overall thoughts of book one or just these chapters. And that'll wrap up this episode. Thanks for dissecting these chapters with us. See you next time. Bye, everyone.